Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Happy Thursday. Happy Thursday. It's almost the weekend. Today is my birthday. We're not making a big deal about it. I put out a couple of pictures. Yes, I'm 36 today. Uh, it's amazing uh, to be 36. I never thought I would make it to age 36. This is incredible. Uh, thank you for all the birthday wishes. Uh, now we'll get on to having a great show. Uh, Royce White's going to join us. Uh, Larry Elder is going to join us. Steve Kim is going to join us. And Jordan Bowles, you know, our friend from the approval rating app, uh, he's going to join us and my longtime uh, family friend. He'll join us uh, at the end of the show as I try to invite you, the audience, into the show. Uh, let me start uh, where I'd love to start, talking about preborn and saving innocent babies' lives and how important that is to us members of the Fearless Army and just men who want to do right in this world, we know that we have to support life inside the womb. We know that life starts inside the womb and no one knows that better than preborn, and that's why they provide ultrasounds to expecting mothers who are considering abortions. Once they hear that baby's heartbeat, once they see that image of that baby, they make a different choice. They make a change and keep that baby, and that's when preborn really steps up and provides the support, the materials, the goods the need, that the woman needs for about the next two, the first two years of that baby's life. It's not just about getting her to have the baby, it's about helping her in the process of developing that baby. Preborn does it all, it does amazing work. Our goal uh, this year is to save 50,000 babies' lives. We do that by donating $28, $5, $140, $1,000, a monthly donation. I've done it all, I hope that you have as well. Gives this show a purpose and a reason uh, for continuing on. It helps change our mindset and get us in the right mindset for life. There's a couple of ways you can do it. Pound 250, say the keyword baby. Pound 250, say the keyword baby. Or you can do it the way that I like to do it. Go to preborn.com slash Jason. That's preborn.com slash Jason. And then when you do it, if you don't mind, send me an email at fearlessblazeshow at gmail.com so that I can be invigorated, inspired by your story by, about giving to preborn, pretty much guarantees you a response from me. Uh, guys, you know what we're about. We're about supporting life inside the womb. We're about having the right mindset about life and where it begins at conception. It's very important. One of the number one things we can do as a fearless soldier, one of the number one things we can do to change this poisonous culture we have going on in America. And as you guys know, the culture's gotten more poisonous. Tucker Carlson's been run off the air. We've been talking about it all week here. We're going to talk about it again, but in a different way with Royce White. I want to play, before we bring Royce on, Tucker Carlson actually sounded like Royce White last night over Twitter. Did you guys see this video? It's only about two minutes. It went wild. It went viral all over the uh, all over Twitter and all over social media. Tucker released like a two-minute video, just somewhat addressing his departure or his silencing at Fox News. But the guy sounded exactly like Royce White. If you've been listening to this show, let's play the clip. Good evening. It's Tucker Carlson. 
One of the first things you realize when you step outside the noise for a few days is how many genuinely nice people there are in this country, kind and decent people, people who really care about what's true, and a bunch of hilarious people also, a lot of those. It's gotta be the majority of the population, even now. So that's heartening. The other thing you notice when you take a little time off is how unbelievably stupid most of the debates you see on television are. They're completely irrelevant. They mean nothing. In five years, we won't even remember that we had them. Trust me, as someone who's participated. And yet at the same time, and this is the amazing thing, the undeniably big topics, the ones that will define our future, get virtually no discussion at all. War, civil liberties, emerging science, demographic change, corporate power, natural resources. When was the last time you heard a legitimate debate about any of those issues? It's been a long time. Debates like that are not permitted in American media. Both political parties and their donors have reached consensus on what benefits them, and they actively collude to shut down any conversation about it. Suddenly, the United States looks very much like a one-party state. That's a depressing realization, but it's not permanent. Our current orthodoxies won't last. They're brain dead. Nobody actually believes them. Hardly anyone's life is improved by them. This moment is too inherently ridiculous to continue, and so it won't. The people in charge know this. That's why they're hysterical and aggressive. They're afraid. They've given up persuasion. They're resorting to force. But it won't work. When honest people say what's true, calmly and without embarrassment, they become powerful. At the same time, the liars who've been trying to silence them shrink and they become weaker. That's the iron law of the universe. True things prevail. Where can you still find Americans saying true things? There aren't many places left, but there are some, and that's enough. As long as you can hear the words, there is hope. See you soon. Mm. So that was Tucker Carlson last night. As Soon as I heard it, Royce White was the first person I thought of. Royce, your thoughts on what Tucker had to say there. Uniparty, uniparty, uniparty. You got to say it three times like Beetlejuice, right? The, the, what he's talking about is that we, we live under the governance of a uniparty. And, you know, it, for me, I, I love Tucker's defection. Uh, I really do. And, and I, at first, I want to say this. Anybody, and I, I, I said it yesterday on Twitter, but I'll say it again here, because every time we get a chance to talk, like Tucker said, it means something. And we have a, a fast-growing audience here on Fearless Ourselves, and I think we're one of those few places that, that still has honest conversation. Anybody or any institution that is trying to suppress the general ability for American citizens to question the overall integrity and security of their elections is engaged in something that is patently unconstitutional. And I don't think there's a bigger example of the power of the uniparty than a company like BlackRock being invested in both Fox and Dominion and, and the outcome of what we saw in, in, in Fox's uh, lawsuit and them bending and them folding. And, and not only did they fold, they folded on one of the most one of the most fundamental cornerstones, the cornerstone, you could say, one of the most fundamental pillars of American citizenship, and that's to be able to question the very integrity and legitimacy of our vote, which is 
most important in a constitutional republic or in a democratic process. So um, I love Tucker's defection, and I think he's spot on. We live under a uniparty, and it's been going on for some time. Are you surprised by his defection? And I like that term because, you know, 10 years ago, I'm not sure, I don't think he would have done this. And I've watched Tucker just like myself. I've watched myself, my eyes get open and then reach that point where, you know what, I got to defect. Are you surprised that he defected at 20 million a year? (laughs) Well, um, I don't know all the details. I don't know if he was defected or if he was let go or, or what the case may be. I, I guess I'm not well enough informed to to know. Uh, at this he could have played along but, and kept his job, Royce. He could have played along. He oh, could have well, he could have yeah. repeated all the talking points. Well, that that defection started long ago for him. I, I mean, I've seen. Look, Tucker was the last hope there at at Fox News, and and what what Tucker represents really is something that all American citizens have to confront right now. The, the lines in the sand have been drawn. Uh, there are no more Democrats or Republicans. There are no more conservative or liberals. There are no more libertarians or there's none of that. All there are are globalists and nationalists. It's become very clear. There are people who believe in having a country and there are people who don't believe in having a country. There are people, and even more so, even deeper, there are people who believe in God and there are people who don't believe in God. And the two are tied. There are people who believe in having a country, who believe in American citizenship, who believe that their rights are inalienable and granted to them by a creator, which is a God-given freedom, in effect. And there are people who don't believe in that. And there are people on both sides of the aisle who have their own designs, their own ambitions to undermine American citizenship through whatever talking points. And I said it before on the show, and I'll say it again. Uh, all of this is leading us towards one, and I don't know if I answered the question about Tucker, It. Tucker's defection is good, uh, and, and he could have played along, but he didn't, and he was the last hope, and now Fox is – everybody should defect, in, in my opinion. I don't know who still watches Fox, to be honest, but but if they're not watching Tucker, I, I really don't know what they're watching. But But then again, I do, Jason. I do know what they're watching. Because we on this show and the conservative movement, the Christians in this country, we, we all have this this idea, this narrative about this country and its current standing. But in reality, both sides of the aisle have traded certain things for freedom. And I've said it before, but I'll say it again. Security on one side, materialism on the other side. And the two greatest examples of that, the two places that were headed on both sides of the aisle that were being capitulated towards on the left, it's a welfare state. On the right, it's martial law. Those are the two sides of the same uniparty coin, right? The over-militarization of our police, the, 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 the running away with our economy and our politicians from the military-industrial complex and the merger there with corporatocracy. And on the other end, the merger with corporatocracy and NGOs and nonprofits and politicians, it's all headed towards two distinct places. Some people will give up their freedom for welfare, some people will give up their freedom for martial law. And, and what I think Tucker can see now is that, by and large, all of these institutions have had a hand in pushing us towards a place where chaos permeates and it invites people who actually believe in having a country even to beg for martial law. 
to beg for the welfare state. When the food runs dry, people will beg for welfare. When when the chaos erupts and young black men have no foods on the shelves, so they're going to kick doors in in the suburbs, white Republicans who believe in their, their, their fundamental constitutional rights will then beg for martial law. And that's how you undermine the Constitution. I, I, I love your point. I'm, I'm trying to catch up to the point and told, but, but I, I hear you. Out of fear of a lack of safety, you're saying conservative or political conservatives are going to go overboard on the police state and, and ask for more and more law enforcement and, you know, just uh, martial law, as, as you say. Yep. And the other side is surrendering just their overall freedom. Just, hey, give me a reparations check. Give me a, a stimulus check. <laughs> provide yep. for all my needs and I'll just lay down and put up with anything. And, and we're on that collision course where everybody, they're just going to meet in the middle and it's, it's just it's going to be fascism and, and pain for everybody who's not in this little small group of elites. And, and I get it. I, I, I'm, Tucker sounds more hopeful than you. And, yeah. and am I right? Did, did, he was sound like, hey, this will not stand. This is too brain dead. This is too stupid. It won't work. I don't know <laughs> if I believe in his optimism as much as I believe in the inevitability of like, no, they put a plan together that's coming together beautifully. I don't know if it can be stopped. It, we may have to suffer for 100, 200 years before it stops. Well, you, you make a fantastic point. And, and Tucker kind of, he, he's kind of has this optimism and this happy warrior that's just a part of his persona. That's part of what made him so great on Fox News, made him enjoyable to listen to over the course of a long period of time where he had to circle back and talk about a number of the same issues over and over because the madness hasn't really changed. So uh, Tucker has that way about him. I'm more of a, 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 a radical alarmist when it comes to these things. And maybe it's my my uh, youth and immaturity. But 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 I see war times and a war path in front of us. And and when I was talking about the the, the martial law, I wasn't just talking about the police state. Um, in terms of law enforcement, I'm also talking about the war in Ukraine and, and the overall prospect of of chaos and violence and war breaking out that will usher in a martial law. A bioweapon could be one as well. Um, but but as as far as the American people go and whether or not um, we will we will be able we, we will win in the end. I think the human mind, the human spirit deeply desires freedom, you know, at a at a at a molecular level. Okay, we we desire freedom, and, and eventually, if tyranny does befall us, a more explicit form of tyranny, people will reject it. The question is, will we have? And 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 it won't take as much as we think to beat them. That's the other side of the coin. We won't need F-16s to revolt against a tyrannical government. That's a lie. That's propaganda that's been used to tell people that they should just prepare for tyranny and and, and give way and enjoy the spoils. Um, but but I want to take the audience back to somebody who. Professor Penn, who I'm having on my podcast tonight, um, please call me crazy, 9 p.m. on YouTube. Um, he, he, he brought my focus back to a name, uh, Sir Bertrand Russell. 
Sir Bertrand Russell was uh, an academic thought leader of the 20th century um, that came out of Cambridge there in the UK. And he predicted that that by using technology and other modern means of, of political and social organization, that people would eventually, our elites and our common folk would become so separate that the very idea of revolution would be an afterthought. And we've come to that place. So Tucker, Tucker's optimism is warranted and he's a he's a leader and he's a voice and he should provide that hopeful that hopeful word uh, for the people. But the reality is none of this could have happened unless we all agreed to it in some form or fashion. I talk about the Federal Reserve a lot and I talk about the corruption of monetary policy in Wall Street and and the international banking community, the international banking cartel. I talk about them often. But the reality is. If I'm not trying to pander to some constituent where I try and blame a bad guy and get their grace, what I have to tell people that are watching is if you weren't invested in the corruption of the monetary policy, it would have never worked in the first place. This is not without our consent. That what, what's, happening with the, with, what's happened with Fox and Dominion is not without our consent. BlackRock is a is a financial overlord that not only has its pincers in its teeth and dominion and fox it has them in many of the companies that we enjoy the manufactured goods from and blackrock and vanguard and many other wall street elites were the very ones who sent our money to china and so when we talk about a thing like reparations jason and i talked about it on my podcast a few days ago i said um you know Let's think about reparations for black. What what would be the most powerful thing that this nation could do right now? Many And I don't want to go off top topic here, but I just want to forward this to the audience in, in a logical consideration about where we are. Put the prejudgments aside. We're already paying reparations. The white American in this country is already being made to pay reparations. What they're doing is they're taking your tax money and they're using it to keep black people on a perpetual federal government dependency. And they plan to pay it in perpetuity. And not only do they plan to pay reparations in that way in perpetuity, they plan to expand it to white people as well. Now, somebody like I or Donald Trump who said, let's get some money to the HBCUs. I think there's a reparations program that you could forward in this country where you afford, where you allow black people to voluntarily opt in to a program that rebuilds this country's manufacturing base. First and foremost, one time, one time deal not for 300 years one time you opt in you're a part of the rebuild of america's manufacturing base and you get land you get land for it let's start by taking some of bill gates land let's start by taking some of the queen's land there's a bunch of people out there who are not american citizens in my book who we could go and get their land we should go get their land because in my opinion they're traitors they're treason they're treasonous um give them land and give them a real stake in this country 40 million black people. Now, it won't be all 40 million, but there's a constituency out there. There's a conversation out there that I think Tucker can lead now because he's been inside the machine on one end and he understands the machine from the other end. And now we can have real thought leaders come together and start to figure out how to rebuild this nation at a time where we're in our most darkest and dangerous place. Explain this manufacturing reparations by the granting of land. Uh, unpack yep. that a little more for me. Well, we got to create manufacturing epicenters. What happened in Detroit? What happened in Pittsburgh? What happened in Ohio? What happened throughout the Bible Belt? What happened to these places? We were sold out to China. And the question American citizens have to ask themselves now, especially white middle Americans, 
right, who are staunchly opposed to reparations because of the way it's been proposed by Marxists, which is a radical materialist proposal. No, this is about national security. It's a matter of national security to allow the CCP to manufacture our antibiotics. It's a matter of national security to allow the number one supply of rubber and tires come from Chinese manufacturers. Because if the shit hits the fan, trucks are what move military supplies. I'm thinking from a military standpoint. Okay, we have a number of gaping national security holes. It's it's a matter of national security to allow Mexico to bring precursors of fentanyl into this country. Okay, it's a matter of national security to have a Finocchio European tyrant sitting north of our border whose allegiance is to the crown. All these things are a matter of national security. And what I'm saying is there's a little there's a little cultural wedge issue out there that we could grab onto and easily ex- access and, and push in our direction where we get black people to rebuild this nation's manufacturing base. And yeah, you can, yeah, we'll, we'll give you some land, a part of these manufacturing cities, and you help rebuild this nation with the people of this nation today because there's a war now that trumps the civil war and the abolition of slavery tenfold. Now it's about the freedom of every last person on this planet. The, the concern that I have with that is that the left has son, done such a brilliant mind screwing of black people that yeah. many black people, they don't want a job. They feel like they're yeah. owed something. And so like the promise of work, again, there was a time the whole civil rights movement, if you go back and look at it, it was about, I'm a man, don't deny me the right to work and provide for my family. They wore signs that said, I am a man, and yes. I want to provide for my family, and there was a fight yes. for the right to work. So you go back to the 50s and 60s, the mindset is like, no, no, man, I'm a man, give me the right to earn and take care of my own. And now, here in 2023, I'm looking at the same dudes that are saying, I'm a man, give me something so I can continue to lay on my ass and smoke weed and (laughs) or play these video games. Yeah. Yeah. And and so and I'm even looking at like some people like I have respect that it's like, oh, we're fighting for reparations when when the previous generations, they wanted the right to provide and to work and how we get 60 years later from them and we want gifts and we want, I don't want to be handed nothing. I want stuff that I earned. I mean, that's just my yes. mentality. And I've seen so many people's mentality destroyed that, that I'm just even one. Would we even accept that deal? That, that that's, you know, to, to be, to bring back, because again, the whole manufacturing base, my whole worldview is, is, other than the biblical part, is built around that. Factory workers, that's what my mother was, my father was before he started his own business. My father's business depended on factory workers and manufacturing jobs. I'm all for it, but I just wonder if they've killed that spirit in everybody else. Well, I think, I think a few things. I, 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 one, I agree with you, um, but, but I want to I forward a few things. One, I think uh, the media, like Tucker, would be well-spoken to, to shed light on. The media has done a great job of creating a caricature of many demographics of people in this country. 
And it's not it's not lost on me that it may be in conjunction with the outcome of elections. We all assume that all these black people vote Democrat in all these inner cities, all these metropolitan. We know black women do. And maybe it is that only black women are the majority of the people voting. But we don't really know. I mean, who can really who are who's doing the counting? Right. I mean, when it comes down to it, we really don't know. Okay, so that's one thing. And I I do think that black women overwhelmingly support Democrat policies because they like the expansion of government as a symbol of their freedom, which is absolutely absolutely backwards in every in every sense. Um, Black people, uh, by and large in this country, I believe, um, are, are faced with the same question that the, the broader American people are faced with. OK, is it freedom or tyranny? <laughs> that, that, that's it. And, and yeah, many black people may want, they may <coughs> beg for tyranny. They may beg for slavery this go around. But I think shows like yours and I think other black voices out there have done a great job to open the minds of black people and continue to. I know I surely try to every day. And in that, we don't need all black people to accept it. We need to start to chip away. Right. We need to start to chip away. We've already lost. The game is over. Right. And I'm, I'm on the opposite end of Tucker in this way. I'm starting from the place where we're already 30 points down. We need a full court press. We need to shoot 90 percent for the rest of the game. We need a couple miracle calls and we need a couple miracle shots in order to win this game. OK, let's start from there. And if we start from there, then then it's 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 my opinion. Um, there will be black people who understand the prospect of what we're faced with today. And there will be black black people in the country if we did something like that who just say, you know what, um, I would love to have my own land. I'd love to start from there. Give me a nice plot of land and let me work. Let me work. Let me help rebuild this country. I think there are black people in this country who have a deep sense of national honor. We have to provide we have to provide um, the opportunity to expand their national honor. What is there out there? And we haven't done that. Because the conservative Rhino neocon establishment that Tucker just defected from didn't mind if black people shot each other either, really. I mean, let's just be honest. The Democrats love it, but so do the Republican establishment. It provides the circumstance and the stew for them to throw stones at each other and tell them they're defending some group when really they're just fattening their pockets. Pit black versus white make off with the green. Well, now we have an enemy there in the east that means to destroy us. And if that can't galvanize, if that if that can't bring black people to a place where they say we would love to rebuild this country, then they don't deserve freedom. And we shouldn't hear any of their reparation uh, requests. They're out. On the positive side, and, and I think Tucker's defection is mostly positive. It takes yep. away the false hope of like, hey, we still have a voice. Everybody should be like crystal clear on where corporate media, television media, where it stands on working class people and non-elites. You will not have a voice. We don't care about you. We don't want to hear from you. We don't want any of your representatives calling us and saying anything. And so that's where I think the opportunity is for us, because if you Tucker's defection and, and it's like people with real talent. There's a reason Joe Rogan has defected or, or whatever. It's because he's got real talent. There's a reason why a Bill Maher is doing a different kind of defection but yeah. because he's got real talent. And so the only people left on the other side, when I look at all of them, I mean, 
every last one of them. I'm just like, they got no talent. They, they can't stand on their own two feet. That's why they sit up there and read the talking points and won't challenge anything in a real way. They don't have the talent. And so, I, selfishly, this is like me just being transparent. I love this because it, 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 it's, it's a, the final little thing that says, you know what? Whitlock is right. And, and the people with real talent, don't, if Stephen A. Smith had real talent, he wouldn't be at ESPN. He'd be somewhere where he could say exactly whatever the hell he wanted to say. But he doesn't, he doesn't have that confidence. He doesn't have real talent. This, and I, there'll be something, oh, you just jealous. He getting that bag, blah, blah, blah. I'm telling they, they don't have to believe. I don't want the bag with those handcuffs. I, I just don't. Right. And I, I, I never have. If you just study any aspect of my career, it's always been about, I need to be somewhere I can say what I really think. And it's so crystal clear when the most successful guy on TV, talk, uh, talk show host, gets booted, yeah. it's crystal clear. It's like, oh, man, this <laughs> ain't the spot safe, no right? more. Yeah, nobody, nobody said, and it's not the spot anymore. Over here, independent, where you can say what you want, that's the spot, and that's where I think this is a good thing for us. And and finally, I'll say this to your point. I think the greatest thing that's come from Tucker's defection. Number one, we're going to get a major look on the inside of that institution. Hopefully, hopefully, I'm I'm hopeful about that. Tucker's Tucker seems like he's. He's got a vendetta, and he does it with the happy warrior face. But I, I, I can tell a, a hitter when I see one. He's he's coming, uh, and and I'm excited for that. But the number one thing that that we've seen right now, or that I hope Americans are waking up to, especially conservatives, is that for a long time the narrative about free market, uh, um, free market, the, the the free market, right, uh, has been the the leading the leading sort of modus operandi for conservatism, right? The market will sort out everything, right? Free market enterprise will sort out everything. It's not true. And what I would love to see now more than ever is a person like Tucker, Steve, Alex, Jason Whitlock, uh, uh, you know, uh, Glenn Beck, all of you guys get together and really lay a battle plan to pull resources, to pull whatever resources we have to mount a real offensive. Because, you know, all in all, you don't need that much to turn the tide of a game. When I use the basketball analogy, I did it for a reason. The game goes and ebbs and flows. But when you get on a run and you got that momentum, you can you can come back from 20 points. You can come back down 30. It's happened. We see it. We see it in the NBA playoffs right now even. It's really hard for teams to hold leads that big. Um, and this this is no different. But but I think right now the momentum is is for a short time on our side because the contradiction is so blatant, right? We're going to tell young men to cut their penises off. I think a lot of people have a very natural, uh, uh, you know, uh, opposition to this type of thinking. So we should strike now. We should strike now from a political commentary standpoint. If we get the, the executive branch and the Congress back, we should strike from a military standpoint. We should strike from a, a policy standpoint, from a corporate structure standpoint. Now's the time to strike, but we have to be courage, courageous enough to do it like Tucker's shown. You know, there, there's whoever... Patriot, Christian, American version of George Soros is. And there should be a handful of them that should be like exactly what you're talking about. You know what? Let's get Tucker, Alex Jones, Glenn Beck, 
whoever, let's get them on a network of ours, whether it's digital or we buy a TV network or whatever. But we, yeah. the, the best heavy hitters are free agents or they're cut away from corporate America. Let's put them all in the same spot. And it, it, Fox News, CNN, MSNBC would be, be made irrelevant overnight if there was some place where we could all work together because that's where the best talent is and that's where the most authenticity is. But, but I, I don't, who, who, who is, other than Mike Lindell, he's about the only guy yeah, I see that's out there out. like really going for it, huh? And they're going to clip out Lindell too. They're working on clipping him out as well, right? They, they, how are they going to take his money? I mean, I oh, guess they, they could. They, yeah, absolutely they can. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> you know, that's that. But again, that's what this whole listen, that's what this whole Fox News punt on on this Dominion case is meant to do. Anybody who speaks subversive will be the victim of 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 lawfare and, and ultimately lawfare will be the subversion of of the American Constitution in this and this last iteration of America. And that's what makes me uh uh, pessimistic more than optimistic because I know how much conservatives themselves have so much faith in the rule of law that they will allow lawfare to take away their freedoms. And, and that's a real question in front of us now. But, but overall, I, I agree. And, and the thing about a network like that is you'd have disagreement. You're going to have disagreement between Glenn and Steve and, 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 and Alex and, and, you know, Tucker, but the disagreements are going to be genuine. The disagreements we have now, like Tucker stated, are based on superficial uh, bullshit. Uh, I want to see those real disagreements. Let's get down to it because there's some tough. All the easy answers are behind us. All the easy, uh, all the easy, uh, you know, all the easy solutions are behind us now. We need those type of people to come together and have the real disagreements so we can find the best solution. Yeah, I was even just sitting here thinking about uh, Megan Kelly. She's really stepped up here in in recent uh, weeks and months. There's just a lot of talent on the other side that is far more talented than, and, and again, I know a lot of people think of Megyn Kelly as a sellout. I, I, I think she learned <laughs> from what's transpired in the last couple of years. Well, well, well look, look, uh, I'll like say her. this one, yeah. one, one thing I want to say before we go, because I, I always want to provide, you know, the, the full gamut of view on this. I don't think it's just people from our side. I actually believe if we if there was any real alternative economy, you would see people start to defect from the other side, from way over there on the other side of things who, by and large, have really Bill just Maher. been to D. Yeah, exactly. Right. Bill Maher. I, I was even thinking of Dr. Cornell West, some people like that. You, you know, Ro Rogan's more on the on the left leaning side. There are a ton of people over there who see the illegitimacy and hypocrisy that's taking place. They have nowhere to go. That's when you know you live under a corporatocracy, when the shekels that are hung before the people become irresistible. And that's what that's what the corporate takeover of America. I said in my podcast the other day, it's going to be ironic that the corporation will kill the citizen. We have to fight that with everything we have. I'll give you a last word if there's something we haven't covered, because uh, all I can do is give you credit. You've been telling me everything Tucker said last night, you've been saying for a solid year on this show. Uh, I'm not going to deny it. I wish I had been saying it, but you've been saying it. And I got I to admit that. Damn it. Well, I, 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 
I appreciate you guys. I appreciate the fearless audience. I appreciate the conversation that you're building. I look forward to being at Roll Call next year. I get countless feedback from black men, but all, all kinds of men and all kinds of people from all across the country who hear the show and they love the message. So I'm proud of what you're doing. I'm proud to be a part of it. Uh, tune in tonight at 9 p.m. for uh, Please Call Me Crazy. Thank you, Royce. Great job as always. Hey, guys, let me, uh, before I let you, before we move on, uh, I want to tell you guys about <laughs> liver health. I've never had a more, well, no, let me be careful. I've had many of my advertisements are, they're all authentic, but the liver health one is just a tiny bit different just because I've been using this product for two years before they jumped on board as a sponsor. And so it's like when I jumped on board with Preborn, I had met Dan Steiner. I obviously believed in the message and totally got it. But I hadn't been contributing to Preborn for two years beforehand. I, I when we, good ranchers and love good ranchers, but that was a new experience. This here has been a part of my whole little transformation. I mean, Look, am I, do I still got another 50, 60 pounds to go? Absolutely. But have I made progress? Look at me today. I've made progress. Liver health has been a part of that. I've suffered from fatty liver. And so when I started saying, you know, no more uh, fast food, Jason, you got to get this weight off of you. This COVID thing could be a disaster for you if you don't get healthier. Liver health is one of the first things I ever adopted into my daily routine, the stuff is amazing. It's been part of my transformation. It's an all natural supplement which contains 12 clinically proven botanicals that help recharge and protect your liver. Manufactured right here in the United States of America, approved by American doctors. So if you're looking to ignite your fat burning metabolism, boost your energy and transform how you look and feel, try this liver health formula and receive a free bottle of blood sugar formula to reduce sugar cravings when you order today. Try Liver Health Formula by going to GetLiverHelp.com slash Jason and claim your free bonus gift. That's GetLiverHelp.com slash Jason. Every, you know, I don't like to lie and I, don't, I bend over backwards not to lie. I'm as authentic as I can be. Liver health. Your boy's been on this for a while. Get yourself some. Trust me, it works. All right, uh, you can email us at uh, fearlessblazeshow at gmail.com. Larry Elder, next. We want to go to heaven with freedom. It's my obligation to hate discrimination. Raising up your hands for freedom. All right, welcome back. Going to roll out to uh, California and bring in our main man, Larry Elder. Uh, Larry's going to go down in history for many things, but maybe the thing he'll be known for was uh, Larry was a guest on the final episode of Tucker Carlson Tonight. If my memory serves me, Larry, am I right? Weren't you on I the was, Friday I was on, edition of Tucker Carlson? I was on the thir Thursday edition, so I was on the second to last. Oh, my, my bad. I'm old. I get the days mixed up. But anyway, we, we're, we've been talking about Tucker Carlson all week. We, 
uh, he put out a video message on Twitter last night talking about the Uniparty and our inability to talk about the larger cultural issues that really matter. I just want your thoughts on what Fox News did with Tucker Carlson and what you thought of the message he put out via Twitter last night. Well, I'm a huge Tucker Carlson fan, and not too surprisingly, he uh, did have me on his show to announce my candidacy for the presidency. We go back a long way. I've known him for a long time. Uh, and uh, he founded The Daily Caller, which I thought was a great publication. It is a great publication. Uh, as far as uh, him being, uh, him leaving Fox is concerned, I really don't know the backstory. I'm not, I'm not trying to dodge the question, but I read articles in the Washington Post about the, the backstory, New York Times about the backstory, other places. You get entirely different uh, perspectives. For example, I know that uh, he is being sued by his former producer. Her name is Amy Grossberg. I also read yesterday she never even met him. Uh, he's, he does this show by, by, uh, in Maine, and she never even met him. So there's a lot of stuff going on. I do believe it has something to do with the Dominion uh, settlement, almost $800 million. And for reasons that are not quite clear to me, uh, uh, Tucker Carlson appeared to be perceived as fanning the flames, even though I would argue that there are other hosts on Fox News who pushed the narrative that Donald Trump lost the election unfairly far more than Tucker Carlson did. So I really don't know the backstory. All I know is we're not going to throw a benefit for him. He's making $20 million a year. My understanding is he was still in the middle of his contract, so he still gets paid no matter what. Uh, and so many offers are likely going to come in for him, so he'll be just fine. His voice is, is, will always be there. He has millions of followers, and, they, and they're loyal to him, and they'll follow him wherever he goes. What do you think about his loss or his demise, his departure from Fox News, in terms of a voice that represents the common man, the MAGA movement, the populist movement? Seems like that that's you know, silencing a segment of the American population that I, I feel has a right to be heard. I, I couldn't agree with you more. That's why I said no matter where he goes, his loyalty, uh, his, his loyal fans are going to follow him. So I think that his voice will still be there. If, or, if anything, maybe his megaphone is even bigger now because people perceive him uh, to be uh, unfairly uh, punished or discriminated against because of his harsh views. He had views on Ukraine that were not uh, consistent with the other uh, host views on Ukraine. Uh, he had views on uh, on uh, phar pharmaceuticals. You could argue that that might have hurt the bottom line because pharmaceuticals advertise a lot on cable. So this guy uh, took a lot of uh, chances, uh, made a lot of risky, uh, took a lot of risky positions, and maybe just maybe that's what happened to him. I don't know. All I know is he ain't going anywhere. Larry, you're trying to go somewhere, all the way to the White House, I presume. Uh, how did that come about? Uh, what do you have to offer that's not on the menu already? Well, it came about because, as you know, I ran for governor in California. I didn't win, uh, but I got 3.5 million votes, almost more than all the other uh, so-called replacement candidates combined. Uh, we raised in eight weeks because I got into the campaign late because, Jason, I didn't think I wanted to run. I'd never run for anything before other than third grade class president. But I was pressed on by Dennis Prager, by my pastor, Jack Hibbs, and by a couple of other people I respect a great deal. And I began feeling I had a moral obligation to do something. Uh, I would rather have done something else with my time. It was a huge uh, sacrifice financially for me, uh, just as this is going to be a huge uh, sacrifice financially. But I feel that I give something back to a country that's been so good to me. My dad was a Marine. My uh, older brother, Kirk, my late older brother, Kirk, uh, was in the Navy during the Vietnam era. 
My little brother Dennis was in the army. He did go to Vietnam. I didn't serve, and I don't feel good about that, Jason. I feel that I need to give back to a country that's been so good to me. Uh, there, there was a guy that ran unsuccessfully for governor of California, uh, and then later on uh, licked his wounds and became a twice-elected president of the United States. His name is Richard Nixon. So when people tell me, well, you know, what makes you think you can win, please. Uh, 150,000 individual donors, half of them came from outside of California. And one of the reasons, Jason, I gained 10 or 15 pounds that you've been polite enough not to mention uh, is because uh, I went to Key West when the race was over. And so many people said, I watched your race. I gave you money. Drinks are on me. Meals are on me. And one of my favorite words is free. So uh, and a number of them said, why don't you run for president? The more I thought about it, Jason, the more I realized it is easier for me to be elected president of the United States than to be, uh, to be a victor in a statewide election in California as a Republican. A Republican has not won in California statewide in almost 20 years. It's almost impossible because the Republicans are outnumbered almost three to one. So uh, I think I have a shot. Regarding what I have to offer, a couple of things. Regarding 45, the, uh, the elephant in the room, there are, Republicans are of two minds on, on him. There are those who love him and there are those who love his policies and love what he did as president, but don't feel for reasons that are fair or unfair that he can win against Joe Biden in November 24. Um, I don't know that I agree with that analysis, but there are people that feel that way. And if you feel that way, you want some messenger with those kinds of policies, those kinds of views, with the kind of personality, likability, sense of humor that can attract people in the center. And that's where the elections won or lost by a few hundred thousand people, so-called swing voters, many of whom, for reasons that I think are often unfair, do not like Donald Trump and would sooner vote for Rasputin than vote for Donald Trump. So if you feel that way, I'm your guy. Heard your case for uh, Donald Trump. The other front runner would be Ron DeSantis. Why are you a better candidate than Governor DeSantis? Don't think I am necessarily. I, I think he's got a great uh, record to run on, as does uh, Donald Trump, obviously. Again, we're, we're auditioning. I'm auditioning to the American people. Do you want somebody who's going to secure the borders? Do you want somebody who's going to be a, a conservative who believes uh, in life? Somebody who does not believe in paying people not to work? Uh, somebody who wants school choice? Uh, somebody who will not spend excessively so that we have the kind of inflation we have, somebody who wants energy independence, and is somebody who you feel is likable and relatable enough with a, with, with a good sense of humor that you feel comfortable with, ha with that person being commander-in-chief. That's my argument. I, I, when I ran for a governor, I did not say a single negative thing about any of my Republican rivals. And if they had stuck to that, maybe just maybe the first part of the ballot, which is do you want Gavin Newsom out, would have, would have succeeded. I never said anything negative because I knew that the, the target uh, was Gavin Newsom just as a target uh, is Harris, uh, uh, Biden Harris, and I want to stay. That, that will be my focus going through the uh, going through the primaries. So I, I already know your answer to this question, but I got to ask it anyway. You compared yourself to Richard Nixon. Richard Nixon had been vice president. He had political experience. He, he's he'd held high office. You've held none. Why can you do the job with, with, with no political experience? Well, I did run for governor of California. As I said, I finished second with 3.5 million votes. California, if it were a separate country, would be the fourth largest country in the world. Donald Trump hadn't run for anything, uh, no uh, political experience, no elective experience, never held office for, in government, and he got elected. So uh, there has been a precedent, you know. <laughs> There's certainly has been, and I, I knew that Trump w would be the natural answer. 
So a lot of people, when they run for president, they also have it in mind. Like if I don't get elected, my candidacy is going to at least make the country have a discussion or a political party have a discussion about a certain issue or a handful of issues. What will be central to you? What are you what discussion are you trying to promote by running for the Republican candidacy for president? Well, first of all, uh, please go to my website, elderforpresident.com, throw a little something in the tip jar. First of all, Jason, I, I'm running to be elected president. Uh, and if I fall short, at the very least, I will do exactly what you said, and that is to promote some issues uh, to the forefront that ought to be talked about more vigorously. Number one, America is not, I repeat, not a systemically racist country. Uh, you have people on the left who make that claim because they want black people to be angry because they feel that they'll then uh, go into that voting booth and vote 90, 95% for the Democratic Party because the Democratic Party has successfully marketed itself as a party of social justice uh, and a party of, of, of equity. Uh, and that these guys over here, these dastardly Republicans, they wear the black hat in that fight, we wear the white hat in the fight. It is a lie. And it's not just a lie that's a lie, it's damaging. When you accuse the police, for example, of engaging in systemic racism, what happens is the so-called Ferguson effect or the George Floyd effect, and the police pull back. They are no longer engaging in proactive policing in Chicago, in New York, in LA, and other major cities, and as a result, there are hundreds if not thousands of people who are dead right now, Jason, who otherwise would be alive if the police had done their normal job. The other thing it does is you're telling young black men when they're pulled over by the police, don't comply. Why should you comply? The police are out to get you, they're out to hurt you. It's a lie. The studies have shown, if anything, the police are more hesitant, more reluctant to pull the trigger on a black suspect than a white suspect. The police kill more unarmed whites every year than they kill unarmed blacks. The real problem uh, is the crime, black on black crime. As you well know, Jason, you talked about it for years. Uh, a young black man between the ages of 10 and 34 is 13 times more likely to be murdered than a young black, than a young white male in the same demo. And almost always that murderer is another young black male. That is because of the breakdown of the family, which is my second big issue, fatherlessness. 70% of the black community of black kids into the world without a father in the home, married to the mother, 50% Hispanics, 25% uh, of whites, which by the way was the same percentage as was the case uh, with blacks back in 1965 when Lyndon Johnson launched the so-called war on poverty. Now 40% of all kids in America enter the world without a father in the home married to the mother. This is a function of the welfare state. What we've done is we've incentivized women to marry the government. We've incentivized men to abandon their financial and moral responsibility. And forget about Elder Barack Obama once said, a kid raised without a father is five times more likely to be poor and commit crime, nine times more likely to drop out of school, and 20 times more likely to end up in jail. We ought to be talking about that, and we're not. Larry, I hate to ask you this, but I got to ask. I, I know it's just a rumor, but I have to ask about this rumor. Uh, there are reports that if you are elected president, you will not leave the state of California until your four or five million dollar reparations check clears. If that's passed, that you will try to govern from uh, California until that check clears. Is that true? Yes or no? Well you know, Jason, I can't leave California. They just passed the mansion tax. Uh, if you live in a house above a certain level, they tax you 5% if you sell it. So I, I got to stay here. I, I can't go anywhere else. <laughs> All right. Well, it, I, if you had a choice between getting that $5 million reparations check or being the president, what are you taking? 
<laughs> well, it's not going to be much of a choice because, Jason, as you well know, I've been called the black face of white supremacy. And one L.A. Times columnist referred to my views as white supremacist. So I'm not even sure I qualify for my reparations check. <laughs> Thank you, Larry. Good luck. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll reach out again very soon. Uh, that's Larry Elder. He's running for president. Uh, he's running to put some issues on the table. I, I, injecting the family and injecting a conversation about the damage Black Lives Matter and all this critical race theory is done. Can't wait. Uh, can't wait uh, for that conversation. Thank you, Larry. All right, Steve Kim, next. All right, before we get to the Korean Cell, I got to tell you what I'm excited about. Blaze TV is embarking on a mission to save comedy from the humorless left. And we're launching this mission next Thursday, May 4th, by releasing our first ever full-length comedy film. The movie is called Reopening. And it's the kind of comedy flick that woke Hollywood would never dream of releasing. Reopening is a mockumentary following the cast and crew of a small community theater struggling to reopen during the heart of COVID-19 pandemic. It's a brilliant work of satire using humor to expose and ridicule the insanity that swept the nation during the pandemic. This is how we defeat wokeism, by laughing at it and by creating a parallel economy of entertainment that you can enjoy. Join us on Thursday, May 4th at 8 p.m. Eastern for the premiere of Reopening. We'll be streaming a live pre-show on YouTube and Facebook with members of the cast, but the movie itself will be available exclusively on Blaze TV. So in order to join the fun, head on over to blazetv.com reopening and use the code reopening to get $20 off your subscription. That's blazetv.com reopening, promo code reopening, for $20 off. All right, time for some Cosell, the Korean version. Uh, Steve Kim, let's roll out to uh, Los Angeles. St Steve, I'm making a circle back uh, to Deion Sanders. You defended uh -oh. him yesterday. Uh, <laughs> let's I'll play the video of Deion Sanders uh, basically calling these kids furniture. I, want you, I, I can't wait to hear you defend him uh -oh. calling kids furniture. Play the clip. There's no way that I could put uh, new furniture in this beautiful home if we don't clean out the old furniture. <laughs> that's him. That's Pat McAfee asking about the transfer portal. And he's these kids leave. 47 kids have left post-spring practice or whatever. Maybe it's 50. I can't remember. And he's just like, oh, we got to get this old furniture out, get this new furniture in. We know... And I know I'm not talking to you, but we know damn well if a white coach talked this way, oh my God, how could you compare these kids to furniture? They're, they're so blah, 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 blah. I, Steve, this isn't gonna work over the long haul, this mentality that Dion's got. Well, good Thursday to you, Mr. Whitlock. And for the record, it's actually, I believe, 51 players, although it's still early in the day here. So, <laughs> here's the thing, I have an idea. In the age of the NIL, every one of these new players that comes in, that they should be sponsored by IKEA. Could you imagine before every game, the new furniture, we're going to UCLA this week. Hey, the new furniture, road trip. 
the TCU, it would work. But look, he promised that there would be a house cleaning. I didn't know he'd be so literal about it, but I think there's a practical thing here. And I'm not here to defend Deion Sanders. I'm not, because I think this is something that goes beyond the level of uh, moderation. Because just for depth purposes, you need some of these players, even if they're not going to be all Pac-12 players. I think the numbers are low. And I saw a statistic from Carl Reed of 24-7, who covers this every day. So I'll take his word for it. According to him, he put out a Twitter video that 70% of the players, Jason, in the transfer portal, you know they've never started a game. So that doesn't tell me that there's a lot of Louie on the shopping racks here. There's still a lot of Samsonite, okay? So I don't know how he's going to build this program up, and I don't know how sustainable it's going to be. And that schedule is very, very tough. But, Jason, this is really nothing new what's going on. Is it unseemly as it sounds. And I'm sure you had players at Ball State that didn't work out that were pushed out. One of my favorite stories that I was ever told about Jimmy Johnson at Miami was explained to me by both Michael Irvin, the time I interviewed him, and Leonard Bubba McDowell, who's now coach at Prairie View A&M, doing a great job. He said one day, Bubba said, in 85 or 86, he said, Steve, I'll never forget, we're out of practice. We were killing Vinny Testaverde. We were pick-sixing. We were dancing. Fights were breaking out. The practice was really ragged, and Jimmy just had enough. So Jimmy gathers up all the guys, and this is when Miami had some vices, there were some issues in terms of player discipline and perception. So Jimmy gathers around all the players. Okay, now, guys, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm getting sick of this. Uh, I know who's not going to class. Uh, I know who's giving me problems. I'm sick of Tadfoot calling me. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, all of you guys think you're here for four or five years, right? And everyone's like, yeah, four or five years. Read the fine print. And Bubba said, everyone looked around and said, well, what do you mean? Read the fine print print he said that like five times he says come late january these are one-year renewables your pell grants your financial aid all that stuff i control it i just want you to know read the fine print and bubba said all of his teammates they went running to their dorm room looking for their paperwork they had no idea this has been going on for years i think dion's biggest mistake is he is being a little bit insensitive and he's almost being way too public about it. He's being way too public. Listen, I played during that era you're talking about, and contracts were renewable year to year. It was an understanding yeah. that unless you got arrested, unless you, you beat up a coach, unless you know something really bad happened, your, con your deal was getting renewed. We had guys... I ain't going to call no names. Some of them are good friends of mine that never touched the field for four, even right. five years. Never touched the field. Never got off scout team. And, and, and they honored their scholarships. Yeah. You had a guy like me. You had a guy like me that started uh, every game my uh, junior fourth year or whatever, had a knee injury that I played with, did not play my fifth year, kept my scholarship my fifth mm -hmm. year. Just went to, and so it, it, it was an understood thing like, hey, these are renewable, but it was understood that, you know, it takes a lot to screw Jason, these things up. You, you know what? Here's the difference, though. Dion just got here several months ago, so he theoretically did not recruit most of these players. Now, what is troubling, Jason, 
there's been a couple of players that already transferred into Colorado from other P5 schools like Michigan and Florida, and even one from Jackson State that was brought over by Dion that have entered the transfer portal. So now that makes me wonder, hmm, is there something just deeper than cleaning house? Is it a true cultural issue? But here's the thing. Um, if I'm Deion Sanders, Coach Prime, and Jason Whitlock, five-star offensive lineman from Warren uh, Central, and I say to your mother, Miss Whitlock, I'm going to tell you this right now. I am going to make sure that no matter what happens, your young man's going to graduate with a degree. He will come out a young man. I will help develop him. So there almost becomes a moral contract that, hey, if your son doesn't work out to be Orlando Pace, he's at least going to be in a position to advance into the real world. Dion, to his defense, hasn't done that. He doesn't know any of these guys. So he's getting paid a lot of money to up the brand and to win. And it's a different game. Jason, Coach Brown had a great rant yesterday on his show how he talked about if players wanted rights and to be paid and have NIL and they're getting money, doesn't that make them employees? And with employee contracts and you're a professional, doesn't that come with a certain set of obligation that also means that you can be expendable if you're not working out doesn't that change the whole dynamic oh, and so so and i hear you on that what percentage of guys at colorado or on any team that's a mid-major power five what i mean mid you know not michigan ohio state just a regular power five what percentage of the guys on those teams are getting nil deals that okay. are making money the top players are but the rank and file probably are not, and it's nominal. The other thing I want to add to your conversation is I was a part of a new recruiting class. Paul Shadell, first-year head coach, longtime Michigan assistant. I was a part of his first recruiting class at Ball State. I saw a bunch of guys that were on the existing team be like deuces or you know, they lost their standing in the two deep and were frustrated. But it wasn't because a gun was held to their head and they were asked to leave. It's like there's a way to go about cleaning house without cleaning out the entire house and without making it look like you got a little renegade culture that isn't yep. working for anybody. And that, that's my concern with Dion is like there's a lot of stuff you can do at Jackson State and HBCU that will not play at a power five over the long haul. And, and I, I just, there's a, he had so much talent at Jackson State that the details didn't matter. The details now matter Jason. 20, 30 times more. And Jason, the way I look at it, look, there are certain guys that are never going to play pro football, but if they're good soldiers, good students, and, and they are willing to play special teams and be a solid scout team guy, there's value in that. Because the bottom line is, percentage-wise, even Alabama, most of their players do not have a National Football League career, and those guys should be allowed to stay. Also, Dion runs the risk. If you run out everybody, I know the way this game works a little bit. If you cut one of my players, and I'm a high school coach, and the next time you come around looking to recruit my top 50 player, I'm going to say, stop right there. You're not even invited. Get the f*** out of here because you are not playing by our rules because my men I care about. So they run the risk of doing that. Also, Matt McChesney, who played six, seven years in the National Football League, he's a Buffalo alum, he told Coach Brown today, these rank-and-file members, all of these players should unionize so they have rights. 
across the board. You're right, because if you're that third team guard that's going into his fourth year that realizes their pecking order but is willing to be a good teammate, they have they should have the right, because based on the obligations that we've both fulfilled and the promises you made to my parent, let the kid finish out his degree. I agree with you. The way he's going about it is insensitive. But all of this has reminded me of a great movie, one of the first sports movies I ever watched and enjoyed. And Jason, I think you may have watched it. Remember that movie One on One with Robbie Benson? Robbie Benson played this hotshot basketball player, kind of a sawed-off version of Pete Maravich. And he goes to Western University. I don't remember this. I remember I just very vaguely. Yeah. I remember and very vaguely. And he was this great player, but it doesn't work out the first month or two. And I think the coach's name was Henry Steele. And Steele goes, you know what? This kid's not going to work out. He's a bust. So he tries to get his scholarship by running him off, getting him beat up, getting him set up. And he basically says, hey, kid, I need that scholarship. And Robbie Benson just says, no, 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 no. We're not doing that. And finally, he comes into a game because he's actually blackballed. But they run out of players in this big game. And all of a sudden, Benson's character goes Isaiah Thomas against the uh, Knicks in that playoff game in game five. Just puts on a show, and then he becomes the hero, and it's like, oh, wow, this guy can really play. So at the end of the movie, the coach goes up to him and says, kid, I just want you to know, man, you could play for me. And Robbie Benson goes, nah, I'm not sure about your scholarship anymore. Not, I mean, so in other words, this, this is not a new thing here. They used to make movies about this subject. Do you know who, where Robbie Benson was from? A small town in Colorado. Wow. <laughs> By the way, small Robbie town Benson, in Colorado. Yeah. He went. Go and ahead. Look more like a John Stockton than a Pete Maravich. But I tell you what, Robbie could ball a little bit. He was pretty good. He wasn't salami from the White Shadow. He was pretty good ball player. <laughs> Good reference. All right, hey, uh, your favorite show or your second favorite? I I don't know. You hate watch first take. I don't know what 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 we call it, but yeah, I JJ Reddick <laughs> continues to come at the neck of Stephen oh. A. Smith, and I, I I want your thoughts on this. Let's first play JJ Reddick challenging Stephen A. and then we'll play Stephen A.'s response. There's a lot to unpack there. Um, I mean this in the nicest way possible to both of you, but listening to each of you right now, it's very obvious that you've played zero high-level basketball, and you Ooh. do not understand the requirements of doing that. And I do mean that in a nice way. Okay. Uh, you bring I'll up, respond in a no, second. No, no, hold on. You bring up Zion. <laughs> yes. I, I, I talked about this when we talked about Zion. I brought, yeah, you brought, him up, you brought up Zion. Trying to play coming off a, a hamstring injury, a serious hamstring injury, I've had to deal with it multiple times in my career. I, I popped it grade three when I was in college. There's a, there's a weeks-long mental hurdle to come back and play. Jay Reddick, first two things you first. You talked about it's very obvious that we didn't play high-level basketball. Newsflash, in this case especially, I don't have to. I've been covering the NBA since you were eight years old. I know that. Let me finish. Oh, no, 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 I'll let no, you speak. I know where you're going. I know, no, 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 no. You don't know where I'm going. No, 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 no. You don't know because you don't know what I'm about to say. You did not listen to me, though. Because I, I can already tell where you're going with this. You don't no, no, know no, no, where no, no, I'm no. going. I want to I repeat something I said. Go ahead. Go ahead. You guys don't know what is required of the body because you have not played at that high level. I said that at the very beginning of my little diatribe. I want to just, whatever your response is, keep that in mind. I will keep that in mind. Thank you very much. Because it's not about covering the NBA. I'm not questioning your no, basketball it's a, knowledge. It's not about the basketball knowledge. Forget the basketball knowledge. You think we make this up? 
You think we don't speak to owners, coaches, teammates, contemporaries, people who are in the league who do know what you know? Of course we have. I'm sorry, I'll speak for myself. Of course I have. Every day. I'm not just coming on the air saying something off of the top of my tongue because that's how I feel and I want to be emotional. I talk to people weeks, months, years. I spoke to five different analysts who were former players in the NFL, who three of them mm-hmm. who were Hall of Famers in the 9 o'clock hour. I'm not just saying it. I'm talking to people who experience these things. Woo! Good response by Stephen A. Your thoughts? Let me just say something. First of all, I hate not watch first take. But after that, that's J.J. Reddick's last take. I don't think he'll be invited back. Now, for the record, I actually kind of agree on the criticism of Stephen A. Smith when he says that that, uh, Kawhi Leonard should just retire. I mean, that's ridiculous. I actually think the argument is that load management really doesn't work. It's ineffective, and we need to junk the doggone thing. Now, here's the problem that I have with J.J. Reddick. He pulls rank, but he has to understand it. And I get this all the time when I criticize a boxer. Well, Steve, what's your professional record? Did you ever buy? And I'm like, no, I didn't. But guess what? My job is still to give an opinion. But a lot of times, Jason, I'm sure you've been through the same thing. A lot of my opinions will be formed by people that I talk to, like Stephen A. Smith, that actually are in the business and played in the arena. They weren't just a critic. They were the man in the arena. So a lot of things that I say... I will actually canvas the opinion like, let's go, for instance, just recently, the Ryan Garcia-Tank Davis fight. Did he quote, unquote, quit? I asked about seven or eight major league world-class trainers and a couple of fighters that I respect, one of them being a Hall of Famer, who gave me vastly different opinions, but there was a consensus for the most part. So that's going to help me because as a journalist, one of the things you have to do is to understand you don't know everything. You have to humble yourself. And the sign of intelligence is to know what you don't know and to defer. I actually, as much as I disagree with Stephen A. Smith on the whole Kawhi Leonard thing, I love his retort because then I could say to J.J. Redick, well, J.J. Redick, I, I actually asked guys that played in all-star games, have you? So, I mean, how far are we going to go with that? That, that? That's ridiculous. That's like saying, well, I can't say anything about Troy Polamalu unless you're Ed Reed because it gets ridiculous. And I've said this before. When boxers say online, you know, all of you people that criticize, you've never boxed before. And I've actually said, well, it's funny. But when we give you praise, you ever say, yeah, but your praise doesn't matter. You never fought. They want to have it both ways. And I actually think both guys made a great point. But it was really nice knowing J.J. Redick on first take. I think J.J. Redick will be back because, one, I think if Stephen A. had handled his response – poorly, J.J. Reddick wouldn't be back. But I thought Stephen A. handled his response very, very well and and scored points and actually put J.J. Reddick in a bad spot. I I thought Stephen A.'s response was very, very good. It's clear to me that J.J. Reddick has made enough money. he He couldn't care less about appearing on first take ever again. And that's going to be his approach Every day, he's there to smoke Stephen A. Smith or whoever's in his way, whoever he thinks he says something dumb. And, and it's actually, I don't even mind that mentality. But, but I, I do agree with Stephen A. in Because I, I had to deal with this with Chris Carter 
when he was at FS1 early on, and, and I can't remember if this happened on air or when we were testing for the show. I just can't remember. But Chris Carter used to love to play that I played in the NFL, you didn't. And, and I'm, pretty, <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was in a test. We were just testing out the show. And I was like, nah, man, we ain't doing that. We ain't doing that. Because you know what? This is my show. And th this whole little thing of like you played in the NFL, so you get final say on everything. It don't run that way. This and literally, you know, Chris Chris started threatening me or acting like hey, you want to throw hands. I was like, if that's what you want to do, and that's what we got to do, that that's what it'll be about. But but I, I've seen guys with that mentality, Chris Carter, and you got to stand up to him the same way Stephen A. Smith stood up to J.J. Reddick and back him down, and Stephen A did a nice job. But J.J. Reddick is going to bring heat every time, and he's put Stephen A in a box. Because if it is J.J. Reddick's last time, it's going to make Stephen A look weak. You know, if J.J. has that mentality, that'll make for some very good TV. Because if yes. he gives none, yeah. that, that may actually be very compelling viewing. But it's interesting about athletes. Anytime there's a big fight, and they'll say it like, oh, Ryan Garcia quit. Right, but then you could ask them, well, look, you played in the NBA, but you've never taken a liver shot. See, they, they want it both ways. They want the ability to, ha to opine about things that they've never done. Like if an athlete says, man, I hated that album from Nas. That was terrible. Probably talking about his third or fourth album. Well, then you could ask them, well, okay, I, I have a question. Uh, how many Emmys, how many platinum albums do you have? See, they want it both ways. And But my view is this. I'll just use this example. Sean Kemp. I have never seen a player, Jason, blow up, and I mean physically, the way he did. He went from a sleek athlete in Seattle, right, who could jump out the gym and do things I have never seen for a man his size. Then all of a sudden, during the lockout, he comes back. He looked like the Goodyear blimp in Cleveland. I was like, what the hell? He literally gained 100 pounds, and he was never the same. He went from having a 50-inch vertical to jumping this high. Now, I never played in the NBA. I can't even dunk on a Nerf hoop. But because of that, am I not allowed to say, you know, maybe Sean Kemp shouldn't have gained all that weight? I mean, how ridiculous is it? Because, well, Steve, what did you play in? Nothing. I played fifth. I played PE at Montebello High School, okay, in seventh period. But if I see a guy like Zion Williamson, I'm a, I used to be a fan of his. He may have been the one guy that could have brought me back to watching that league somewhat regularly. I was thoroughly entertained by his 20-game run at Duke over four and a half months. The fact of the matter is, when you look at his body, and you look at his body composition, everybody knew this would be an issue. But because we're not the Catholics who played in the NBA, is no one allowed to actually point out he needs to get in better shape? It makes no sense, Jason. Thank you, Steve. Have a great weekend. Won't see you tomorrow. Great job today. Uh, for those of you out there, uh, there's some Fearless Army roll call merchandise available right now for you uh, at, at the Fearless Army shop, including hoodies, T-shirts, dog tags, like the dog tag. Can you see the dog tag I'm wearing today? We got them out there for you. You can grab some dog tags. Go to shopblazemedia.com slash fearless to get your merch today. I will, Tanil, if you're in the chat, I promise you today I'll have some uh, promo code for you so you can get one of them bomber jackets for a discount. Uh, Jordan Bowles 
you guys remember Lil Jordan, he's the Purdue student, loves the NBA. He watched the uh, NBA last night. We're gonna talk to Jimmy Butler and Giannis Antetokounmpo. What should we make of those two superstars? The Heat eliminate the Milwaukee Bucks, I believe, in five games. Jordan Bowles next. All right, welcome back. Uh, let's roll out to Purdue University and uh, bring in the youngest fearless soldier, Jordan Bowles. He's just 19. He's a student at Purdue University. He's all over the approval app. I love him. That's why we bring him on the show. I need those of you uh, that haven't adopted the approval app uh, to do that now. It's at your Apple Store. It's in your Google Store. If you've got an Android phone, download the approval rating app. Uh, and so perhaps one day you'll be on the show like Jordan, who I still can't convince to uh, get that Westbrook jersey from clouding up. You know, this may be your last appearance if you're going to insist on the Westbrook jersey uh, being up, Jordan. Uh, but we want to talk about uh, Jimmy Butler and the Miami Heat. They eliminated uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo and the Milwaukee Bucks uh, 4-1, uh, I believe, in that series. Jimmy Butler, amazing in that series. I checked that. One, you got Jimmy and Giannis both a little overrated, I, I, I believe. I've got there. I got Jimmy appropriately rated at an 82. Incredible in the series. I, I, I got one thing. I have to help you understand. You got Jimmy at a 90, uh, Jordan, and you've got his character at a 22. There's no. There's virtually no man in his 20s or early 30s whose character is that high. You'll figure that out as you get older. At 19, probably as high as I could go on your character is a 12, you just don't know enough. I've been 19, I know how stupid I was at 19. And, and Jimmy Butler's in his you know early 30s, late 20s. He can't have a character that high. He's too young, he's too dumb. Uh, but anyway, what'd you think of Jimmy Butler's performance in this series? First and foremost, Jason, no longer a teenager. I'm actually 20 years old. And I'd say my character is oh, a bit sorry. higher than, than most would think. But <laughs> I'm not the topic of today's discussion. I am going to speak about the topic, and that's Jimmy Butler. Uh, I don't know why his character wouldn't be able to be that high. I mean, look at him. When it comes to late April, going into May, these playoffs, Jimmy is your guy. Uh, you see guys all across the league hurt, out, can't play. Look at Kawhi and PG. Left Russell Westbrook, my guy, to hang dry. Jimmy's always available. And he has Giannis's number uh, as we look through the years. Giannis did sweep him uh, a, a couple years ago, but Jimmy spun back. He got to the uh, He got to the NBA Finals. Then he got to the Conference Finals last year and was just a shot away from going back to the NBA Finals. Jimmy Butler's a better player than I ever thought he would be. I do think he's one of the toughest, most fearless players in the league. I, I, I think he carries himself that the way I wish Russell Westbrook did. Jimmy's about that work. Uh, Jimmy, you know, is I, I respect him as a competitor. I think he maximizes his talent playing at an elite level when, when you know, he could be 
a very good player, but he's he's more than just a very good player. And you're right, at playoff time, it, he does seem to bring out the best in Jimmy Butler. I agree with you on that. I want to switch to Giannis Antetokounmpo, who, great young man. I'm high on his character. I have questions about Giannis, though, as a playoff true, true, true superstar. Four or five years ago, when the Toronto Raptors shut him down in the Eastern Conference Finals, thought that was a horrible look for Giannis. They put a defense on him. This guy's supposed to be a superstar. They figured out a way to shut him down. Now a first-round playoff exit uh, to the Miami Heat. Not a good look for Giannis. Uh, Giannis is a great player. I think we try to elevate him to a superstar type player. I, I don't know if he's a true superstar, and I know he's got two MVP trophies, but Giannis can be st- shut down at critical times. His, his game isn't multidimensional enough for me to consider him a true superstar. I, I totally disagree. Uh, we've got guys throughout the years that are more one-sided players. You know, they, Giannis can't shoot, and we know this. And last night it showed uh, quite a bit, and especially from the free throw line, missing 13 free throws. But Giannis, not only is he a superstar, he's one of the greatest players already that have graced this league. And there's been a lot of discredit flying around ever since last night about his career thus far. Uh, he's just getting started, really. Yeah, he's, he's got two MVPs. He's got a finals MVP. He's got an NBA finals win. Uh, he has a defensive player of the year and an MVP in the same year. Giannis is one of the greatest players to ever grace the league. And uh, there's a lot of talk about there being a failure for this season. Giannis missed games in this series. He's the key to their success. Uh, they're a good team without him. Let me tell you what Giannis missed, Jordan. Let me tell you what Giannis missed. He missed the opportunity to to guard Jimmy Butler and shut him down. Drew Holiday or whoever they was putting on him wasn't up to the job. It was Giannis' responsibility to shut down Jimmy Butler. I guess so. I mean, Drew Holiday, that's his job, right? That's his job, to be there to defend. That's been his job ever since he became a buck. He's already always guarded the toughest guards on the other team. Jimmy is a guard. Giannis doesn't need to be out here worried about playing a bunch of defense, getting in foul trouble, which he has done time and time again when he's had to check guards. To discredit that, I mean, come on. Let's give Drew Holiday some credit, too. He got baked. Drew got cooked. Yeah, we can put Giannis on him. He's going to waste energy. He's already got a bad back, bad knee. I mean, come on. He's missed games in this series. This series is going to six, and the Bucs are going to take it if Giannis plays every game in this series. I'm sorry. Disagree. But, again, you're just a child. You're just I get, I 19 mean, I, I, if you are I, I 20 years old. As a fan. When did you turn 20, I'm by the way? I turned 20. When did you turn 20? July 7th. Oh, you I'll be did? 21 oh, coming up very soon. This is a man you're talking to. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <laughs> Ain't you a freshman? <laughs> yeah, but I could be a junior. 
Yeah, no, no. You know what? Now I remember. Now I remember. This because I was talking you to know. your daddy about this. When I cut this last AAU check, I told your daddy, like, I'm out of the AAU business. <laughs> it felt like you played six years of AAU ball in high school. Uh, Kobe's done play. By the way, Freddie named his kids Jordan and Kobe. These are basketball nuts. Uh, it feels like Kobe played 12 years of AAU basketball. <laughs> I'm out of the AAU business. I'm done. That's all good. I, I My career forgot. Is yeah, you, you was one of them. Yeah, yeah. They, they, I forgot. You graduated high school at 19. I, I forgot yeah. about that. All right. Um, uh, the well, book good job, Jordan. Uh, Jordan, good job. Uh, I don't want to see the Westbrook jersey moving forward. Get you a real Maybe jersey up there. You've been, you've been, who are you named after? Put Michael Jordan's jersey up there. Michael Why are you Jordan disrespecting Michael Jordan? Jordan? That's who your daddy named you after. He loves Russell Westbrook. Go ask him. He'll tell you he loves Russell. More than Jordan? I'd say so, no, to be honest, you. yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, he's wrong. Both of y'all are wrong. All right, thank uh, you. Have a great weekend. Tell everybody I said hello. Uh, we'll see you tomorrow. Let's play some tomorrow. Waiting for the countdown, coming off the breakdown, standing in line for freedom. Looking for a breakout, feeling like a standoff, nothing in life like Freedom came like a fighter, striking like a ladder, making all this moves for freedom. I want freedom. No negotiation, my system, no relation. We all just wanna have freedom. Sitting on the corner, never been alone. I'm breaking my back for freedom. Bless, we are living, get back. We are receiving all the seed when we all wanna be free. We want freedom.